What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today is a Q&A, and I haven't done a Q&A in quite some time now, but I'm super pumped about this because we have a ton of great questions regarding training and nutrition, specifically this week. Um, and I'm also going to touch on being a dad a little bit because I got those questions as well, as you can imagine, because that just happened, which is also why I haven't been on the podcast for a couple weeks, because I have not had time to do a Q&A, which is why I co- recorded a ton of interviews prior to the baby coming. So, this Q&A is jam-packed with fitness and nutrition knowledge, and I'm excited to answer you guys' questions today. If you want your questions answered, you can do a couple things. First and foremost, you can follow me at Cody.BoomBoom on Instagram because that's where I deliver most of my content, and that's the easiest place to reach me. So you can DM me, and you can ask me literally any question you want, and I will feature it on the show if you want. You can also email info at BoomBoomPerformance.com if you have any questions or inquiries about me getting on your podcast, if you have questions about our podcast, sponsorships, anything like that, you can email my assistant at info at BoomBoomPerformance.com. All right, guys, before we get into the Q&A, I want to make a quick announcement just to shout out my sponsor, Reebok One. I don't think I need to say much because you guys know the deal. You know I love Reebok. You know they hook it up. And you know their training gear is better than any other training gear. So if you want to get a discount on Reebok and you want to be a part of a community that is crushing the fitness industry when it comes to gear and swag and training, clothing in general, shoes, everything – Check out ReeboxOne.com. You can sign up there. You can get a good discount, and you can get yourself some Reebok gear just like me. All right, guys. Let's get on to the Q&A. All Time for a Q&A. Man, it has been weeks since I've got a chance to sit down and do a Q&A. Sometimes I think it's funny that I truly enjoy sitting in my office talking to myself <laughs> and it's a smart business model like it's funny to me that that's that's a thing now and and it's like a talk show like I love it just sitting down and, and speaking of talk shows if you guys haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel yet go check that out because it is like one of my new favorite things in fact as soon as I get done with this podcast that's exactly what we're doing we're going back to back with Q&A's because I'm a huge fan of Q&A's I do think that is the that's why I love Gary Vee so much I think that's the best way to learn because I mean I get it's funny because people always ask me like the best books, the best study material, all these different things. I'm like, man, get a mentor and ask questions. I mean, shit, I have a phone call with my mentor in a couple hours and I already have five questions that I'm going to ask him. And we're going to sit down and talk for 30 minutes just based on those questions, right? Like, and it's the same thing with my mentor clients. I always make sure that they are ready for the calls and they're ready to ask me questions about their business, about their marketing, about their social media. Like you should have questions ready. Um, which is why I love the show. There's some people that seriously take advantage of the Q&As on the show, and I love them. And it's been a couple weeks because I have been just so busy with hashtag dad life. It's funny. I keep saying dad life to my fiance, and she's like, you've been a dad for a week. Stop. <laughs> but I can't stop, man. I love it. So speaking of which, um, we're going to jump right into the questions. And we're going to start with a uh, personality question because those are uh, my favorite things. So Carrie Moden has a couple questions. Shout out to Carrie. She's one of my clients. Um, she has a couple of really good questions. Um, in fact, you had four really good questions. So I'm going to answer two of them. I'm going to save one for YouTube. Actually, fuck it. Let's do all of them. These are, these are great questions. The first question is a horrible question. She said, how do you feel about waist trainers? But she said she was joking. I fucking hate waist trainers. And if any of you guys follow me on Instagram, which if you don't, go follow me at Cody.BoomBoom. Um, I posted on my story I had somebody follow me, and, and it was uh, Waist Trainers for Men. And I'm like, man, 
is this really a thing? Are they are they really doing this right now? Waist trainers for men? And then I looked at it, and it was funny because I posted it as a story, and somebody replied. I can't remember who it was. Shout out to whoever replied to it and said, I feel bad for the six people following them or something like that. I feel bad for the guys following them. And it's like, God damn. So I hope to God nobody is buying into those waist trainers because they do not work. Horrible. So um, speaking of parenthood, one of her questions was, what has the best thing about parenthood been thus far? It's such a hard question to answer. Um, it's been overwhelming. It's like it's a it's a type of love that is overwhelming, and that's the craziest part, right? It's like I think the best part is just staring at her. Like in my mind, she's perfect, but I'm biased. But it's just like sitting down and knowing that you created a human being, and and she loves you, and you love her, and and she's honestly my baby's been super super chill. We got really lucky because she really doesn't fuss much at all. And everybody's going to listen to that and say, yet, yeah, I know, I know, it's going to come, just wait. But she's doing really good. And I think the best part is just just the thought and the the concept of what has happened, right? Like creating my family. Um, just that, like just the thought process of it. Like there's nothing been, like there's no, there's no one specific thing. It's really just like sitting there and staring at my fiance holding the baby and just knowing that that's my family. Like that motivates me more than anything. That fuels me more than anything. Um, like again, it's an unbelievable love that is indescribable. Like it's just, it's overwhelming. Um, and it just makes you feel like I'm a different human being ever since that happened. And it was the same way when I found out we were having a baby completely changed my mindset around everything and my purpose to do everything. And that just grows and continues. So, um, the best part of parenthood so far is what it's doing to my mindset. Um, it's just, it's overwhelming. It's, it's so great. I love it. So, um, yeah. So she said, uh, just a couple other really, really good questions. Next question is, when doing reverse dieting, is it unrealistic to have a goal or a deadline? So, damn, she had another question there. She snuck in a lot of questions. Good job, Carrie. <laughs> so, when doing reverse dieting, is it unrealistic to have goals or deadlines? I think that, I don't think it's unrealistic, but I because I think it's important to have a mindset and a mind frame around when you were going to finish this reverse diet. But you have to have a loose and deadline, right? That that deadline needs to be a range of a few months probably because there's really no telling how your body's going to respond, how your body's going to adapt, when you are fully going to be recovered, when your hormones are going to be fully optimized, when you need to stop, right? Like I think that the the best thing to do is have a goal, not a deadline, not a necessarily big deadline, right? So like I think it's important to like, okay, I'm going to start this reverse diet. I, my coach told me like I have some work to do. Um, maybe get a ideal calorie intake you would like to work up to so I know with a lot of my clients like when I'm reverse dieting somebody I have an, a picture in mind of like okay I would like to see them at about this this calorie intake but again that's a range because I've seen people get to that calorie range and me go you know what like we're actually at a good healthy spot we can slow down the reverse or stop the reverse for a little bit so we can focus on fat loss um, and they're not getting the biofeedback that I wanted them to get I would expect their sleep to improve, their performance to improve, their recovery to improve, their stress and cravings and mood and all these things to improve. And then when they get there, I'm like, oh, shit, they're actually, they're actually not, right? They're not there yet, even though on the numbers of their calorie intake, they should be there or I believe they would be there. So I think it really depends. I think it's good to have a calorie goal in mind um, and, and associate the biofeedback with that. So maybe your goal for reverse dieting is like, okay, I'm at – 1500 calories and my goal is to be at 2300 calories because I know if I'm at 2300 calories for my size this is a comfortable caloric intake this is a good position to be in this is where I'm going to feel my best this is where my coach says that my performance should be improving my stress should be lowering but the main thing I'm going to focus on is 
getting more sleep, performing better, so on and so forth. So maybe your goal is PRs in the gym, right? PRs in the gym and a certain calorie intake and just biofeedback being through the roof. I do not think it's smart to have any type of body composition goal while you're reverse dieting because it's hard because we like we see a lot of people post result pictures on Instagram of reverse dieting success and you see a before and after that's crazy like they got shredded when reverse dieting and you have to understand that we got to peel back a couple layers and go okay two things may have happened here number one they are a hyper responder so genetics and god bless them with the perfect outcome they increased calories and they got shredded doesn't always happen but it happened to this guy or the other thing that could happen is they reverse dieted and then they dieted it back down. So those before and afters are like a year apart and they took a long time of not being lean where they were bringing their metabolism up for a long time and then they started focusing on dieting down and leaning out again. So we have to peel back a layer. It could be one of those two things. Um, now there's people who reverse diet for six to eight months and they slowly, slowly get leaner while increasing calories and they never have to diet back down. So that's an option too, but in most cases that's not the case. So we have to... We have to consider um, – I guess we. what I'm trying to say is we have to consider smart goals when we're reverse dieting. The feeling and the stress load in recovery is like the most the, – the highest priority thing. So when you're reverse dieting, your goal should be PRs in the gym, should be maximizing sleep, stress, mood, cravings, hunger, all these different things, health. Maximize health. After that, then you can set a goal and a deadline. I think it's good to have a broad, broad spectrum because if you're just – if a client signs up with me and – they go, okay, I need to reverse diet, and it's going to just take a long time. Cool. It's very hard to stay motivated when you don't know when it's going to end. So don't be afraid to ask your coach, right? Like even though I don't always tell people, hey, you are going to probably be done reverse dieting around this time in my mind, sometimes I don't tell them that. But if they ask, I'm always going to say like, hey, this is my plan because I want to educate you. My plan is to reverse diet you until we get you to about this caloric intake. If you gain over this much weight, I'm going to pull back along the way because I don't want you to gain too much body fat. I understand that that can be uncomfortable and, and kind of hurt, right, mentally. So I will pull back if that's the case. But my goal is to float around this weight that you're at. I want to bring up calories slowly until we get to this point. Usually, if I did my math right, and from my experience, it's going to take six months, eight months, whatever it may be. could take you three. It could take you 12. We don't know because we don't know how your body's going to adapt. But this is my goal. Once we get there, then we will move in this direction. So rather than having a set goal or deadline, I think it's just it's great to have a broad range of what you, your outcome is long term. But the, the initial goal at, from the jump should be PRs in the gym. It should be performance. It should be health. Because the physiological, I'm sorry, the physical follows the physiological. So if we can improve this hormonal balance in the nervous system, you're going to be a lot better off and you are going to see those goals. All right. I lied. I'm not going to answer all these questions. I'm going to save some for YouTube. But there is another really, really good one. One thing you wish you could have told your younger self when you started your fitness and health journey. Fuck, that's deep. Man. Um, one thing I could, I wish I could tell myself is, <laughs> this is funny, trust the process, be patient, like something I tell my clients all the time. And I think a lot of people get frustrated with that because it's hard to hear, right? You want things now. I've always been a very impatient person and I think it, I think it bit me in the ass a lot, but I think it aided in my success a lot as well because when you're impatient, you're going to make shit happen because you don't want to wait. And I think it did help me a lot because I'm, I'm go, 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 and I'm going to make sure I get shit done. But at the same time, it caused a lot of frustration specifically in my body. Um, it took me a while to learn how to lose weight the healthy way. 
because I was chasing these fast track, quick fix diets, quick fist fix cardio plans, stuff like that, right? Like I did everything under the sun. Like um, I tried every fat loss tool and pill and supplement. Um, I tried, I tried a lot of things I'm not proud of when it comes to that stuff. Like I've never done steroids or anything, but I've done things that aren't the healthiest um, in the right way. And every single time I bounced back worse than before and I had to go back down that journey. So if I could tell my younger self just to be patient, trust the process and things will work out, I think I would have been much better off. Um, and that's regarding trying to lose fat because once upon a time I was a chubby kid, I was trying to get lean and I was very impatient trying everything under the sun. That was a quick fix that didn't really work. As far as my career with fitness and health, what I would have told my uh, younger self, to be honest, is the exact same thing. Um, I think I had a lot of frustration uh, knowing that I had a lot of knowledge in this space, but I wasn't getting recognized for it or something, right? Like I, I was so worried about what people thought and I was so worried about being a name in the industry that I was just always trying to have more and I was always trying to just do as much as I can and I just was very impatient. I would get frustrated when it wasn't working out or panning out. And in reality, I just had to put in the work. And it took me a while, but I finally realized like, and again, this comes from having a mentor um, you know, like I know just as much as this guy, this guy, this guy, why aren't I at this place like he is? And my mentors had to tell me like, how long do you think I've been doing this? You know, 13, 14, 15 years. And it was kind of a light check for me. Um, and that's when I really started to realize like, holy shit, this stuff takes a long time. And it, it calmed me down, allowed me to be patient, allowed me to look at the bigger picture. And that's when shit really started to take off for me. So I think in both realms, the, the advice I would give my younger self is be patient. Trust the process. 100%. Derek Ledwidge, Ledwidge, can you talk about your coaching experience with insulin resistance? What route you take with your clients, such as reverse dieting? So, oh man, a lot of people are interested in reverse dieting. Look, if you guys uh, – here's the deal. Actually, you know what? Couple, couple things. First and foremost, um, if you are interested in learning more about reverse dieting, uh, Brandy Wan, who is actually my nutrition coach, who I hired because – Coach needs a coach too. I need accountability. And she's actually been reverse dieting me because I was not in a in a dangerously low caloric intake, but I wasn't eating enough to support the stress of my lifestyle. Um, I do a lot of things. I train really hard. And I'm not going to give that up. So I wasn't eating enough because I was constantly, uh, I mean, marketing, staying lean and, and getting lean, doing a photo shoot kind of relaxing, getting lean, like so on and so forth. So I hired her. She's been reverse dieting me. Um, I haven't really gained much weight. I'm not super lean yet, but I am about to start April 1st for the people who applied for the 16 weeks to summer shred. I'm going to be getting lean with them. Um, and then she put me in a really good place. I'm eating more calories per day than I've probably ever ate in my life. It's been pretty, pretty good, uh, or at least in a really long time. So, uh, but anyway, Back to <laughs> a little rant there. Um, she has a she just came out with a book on reverse dieting, and you can grab it in the show notes. So I'm gonna put a link to the book. It's a great book. Um, I highly suggest you guys all read it. I'm a big fan of IN3. I was actually gonna share this with you guys in the podcast Facebook group a while ago, but um, but I had the baby and I got busy and I forgot. So it's gonna be in the show notes. Click the link, get the book. It's cheap and it's extremely well written. So you can learn a lot about reverse dieting from that. The second thing I want to say is if you guys are struggling with reverse dieting, get a coach. It is the most difficult thing to do on your own because you're not going to like what you see in the mirror and you have to understand that it's about the way your body feels inside. And to be honest with you, it's one of the hardest things I have to go through as a coach because I know it's frustrating and I know that people are a little bit upset or irritated that they're not getting leaner and they're 
constantly working on nutrition and training. It's tough, but it's rewarding when they stay patient and we get them to the end of the road because by the time they get to the end of the road, they are leaner, they are healthier, they feel so much better, and they have this lifestyle that they can actually sustain. So if you're looking into reverse dieting, just just get a coach, whether that's me or somebody else, get a coach. But can you talk about your coaching experience with insulin resistance? Yeah, I think that... I think insulin resistance is uh, actually one of those things that's less common than people think. I think it's one of those things where people want to blame their body fat on insulin resistance, right? Like, oh, I have bad genetics. I'm, I'm insulin resistant. I, my body can't tolerate carbs. And I think that that's just a lazy excuse of, in most cases, because there are people who are insulin resistant. I think that's a lazy excuse with most people um, in getting lean, to be honest with you. Because I've seen a lot of people tell me that, and I've gotten them extremely lean eating a lot of fucking carbs. And even myself, like the leanest places I've ever gotten constantly have carbs, right? So, and obviously the leaner you get, the more carbs you can tolerate. But I've, I have gotten people lean from a very overweight state without cutting carbs super low. So I think that insulin resistance is one of two things. One, it, it's with very, very obese people. So if you have somebody who is extremely, extremely overweight or was extremely overweight, I think that it's more common. So if somebody has 100 pounds to lose with me, I might go on a lower carb approach because their likelihood of being more insulin resistant is extremely high. If I have somebody who is um, has a good 30 pounds to lose, but when you look at their physique, it's clearly all the way around their waistline. Like it's clearly low belly, low back, love handles, like all like a spare tire. If that's where they store all of their body fat and they have lean arms, lean legs, lean face, then that's most likely insulin resistance or cortisol issues. If I have somebody who is uh, – if somebody is um, – at a plateau, then they could be insulin resistant as well. Like I've had clients who have lost, like I had one guy who lost, I want to say it was like 80 pounds with me, almost 100 pounds, um, and he hit a wall. And it was just like we could not get him past it. And we actually took him into keto. So we went keto, and that's how we broke the plateau and got really lean. Um, and then he actually really, really enjoyed keto dieting. Um, it was easy with his lifestyle. It was easy with the way his culture, um, cause his, his family's not from, uh, they're not all like their heritage isn't, isn't American. So their culture, it was really easy for him to stick to that diet and he actually stuck to it. The only time he deviated was with vodka soda. So I was like, dude, stick with it if you like it. But in that case, we completely removed carbs went keto and didn't lower his calories at all. So for him, I do believe that was an insulin-resistant state. So there's times and places when you need to go in that. Usually it's if somebody has 100-plus pounds to lose, if somebody is completely storing body fat around their, their spare tire area, um, or they hit a massive plateau and you cannot get through it no matter what, I think that there's a possible issue of insulin, insulin resistance. Uh, but there's a lot of things you can do to help insulin resistance as well. Obviously get lean, strength train, meal timing, get more sleep, lower cortisol levels so you're not st chronically stressed out by, I mean, you can do that with meditating, gratitude journal, uh, proper nutrition, so on and so forth. Um, less processed sugar and processed foods. Like there's a lot of things that you can implement to help your insulin sensitivity, which will help avoid insulin resistance. But in the most case, my experience has told me that it's either, usually it's not the case and it's an excuse, um, or it happens when somebody has an extreme amount to lose or a good amount of weight to lose and it's all around their stomach. Next question, Ashley Fossum. I have heard you say body weight times 10 to 12 for fat loss a bunch of times on the podcast. Does this same rule apply when working with obese clients, i.e. 365-pound female? Got to take a drink of the coffee. 
you guys know I'm a coffee snob. If anybody loves the podcast enough and they appreciate me, send me a bag of organic coffee. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that more than a rating and review if you guys were wondering. So 10 to 12 times your uh, for fat loss, for uh, I have said that a bunch on the podcast. The same rule does not apply when you have an obese client. So when you have an obese client who is, for example, like she said, 365 pounds, I personally do not believe you should even be counting macros. When I have clients that are that overweight um, and they have 100 plus pounds to lose, we usually don't start with counting macros. We usually start with habits because there's a reason somebody is that overweight. When you have gotten to a point where you have 100 plus pounds to lose, you have poor, you have a poor relationship with food. You have a very poor environment that is not supporting a healthy lifestyle, and you likely do not have much education or knowledge around what true nutrition looks like. So for individuals like that, my main focus is getting them to understand what good food is, getting them to understand better stress and eating habits, better environmental cues, like very, very simplistic things to get this person just living a better lifestyle. When that client loses 50 to 100 pounds and they want to dial things in, then we can go into calories and macros. At that point, it's most likely going to be like times eight their, their body weight. But you should probably base it off of their like goal weight, right? So if she's 365 pounds, but let's say she's 5'5", and we look at a normal 5'5 person and we know that they're going to be anywhere between 120 to 160 pounds depending on their build. So maybe we shoot off of 160 because that's the heavier end, right? So we go off 160 and we times that by 10 to 12. Now we like, okay, this is a better a better caloric intake for this individual. Um, but again, you can at the same time is like 10 to 12 is good if you're just guessing out of nowhere, right? So what I have clients do, nobody can even start with me until they track their nutrition for at least five days. Like that is my rule to work with me. Um, and all the people who are in the 16-week challenge know that because we've already started their process. And in the 16-week Shred to Summer Challenge, which we haven't started yet, so um, I will throw a link in the show notes if you guys want to apply. I ended up opening a couple more spots because we kept having – we had more than – the seven people apply. Let's just say that we already got seven people in, but I opened a few more spots. So if you want to jump in, um, you can do so. This is the last week it's going to be available. So it'll be running through the weekend and then we're going to cap it because we're going to start um, within next week to April 1st. But these individuals who already signed up, excuse me, already know that the first full week they are just recording their nutrition. That's all they're doing is just recording their nutrition because I need to see um, where they're at before we make their their caloric intake set. So let's say that this individual, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 10 to 12 times their body weight, right? Or let's say, let's take this 365-pound individual, and we go, okay, she, like her goal weight, what she used to weigh was 175. Okay, we're going to do that times 10 to 12, okay? So that gives us, So 175 times 12 is 2,100 calories. So let's go, okay, so 2,100 calories is a good baseline for you to hit, right? So we're going to start there. But we start recording her nutrition, and we realize that she's eating 2,900 every single day. Well, I don't need to subtract 800 calories a day in order for her to lose body fat. So I'm going to go, okay, we're going to go with 2,600 calories because that's only a 300-calorie deficit, which is a little bit healthier, a little bit easier for her to maintain because, again, this is about lifestyle. This is about longevity with it. So in that case, we're not going off 10 to 12 because we don't have to. Now, if I get somebody who wants to lose fat and they're consuming 1,200 calories but times 12 is actually 2,100 calories, 
Now I'm going, okay, my goal is to get you to your goal body weight, but we got to reverse diet you till we can lose fat at 2,100 calories because a healthy fat loss is 12 times your body weight in calories, 10 at the most. Now, if somebody has a deadline, I will bring it down to 10, sometimes even eight because if we have a deadline, if we have a, a, a bikini competition, a photo shoot, sometimes there is places where you can do that. But for longevity purposes and just like a healthy rate of fat loss, we want to be at that 10, 12 times your body weight mark. So it really, really depends. Um, in an individual that is 365 pounds or just obese in general, I always start with the basics. I start with habits. I start with slowing things down and just teaching them and educating them on what real good nutrition is. Because if you get that individual eating real foods for 90% of their meals, that's going to cut out a lot of the junk that they were eating. It's going to lower their stress levels. It's going to increase their movement. It's going to increase their joint health. It's going to increase their sleep patterns. It's going to lower their stress. It's going to help everything else. And because of all of that, even if they didn't lower calories, they're going to lose weight, I guarantee. But on top of that, when we switch our diet to a very whole food approach, I guarantee you're cutting calories because if you're that overweight, you're probably eating a lot of processed junk. It's a really, really good question there. I like that one, Ashley. Ian Dickinson asked advice for new trainers, and I told him get more specific. He said, like career moves, work in a gym, go straight online, one-on-one versus group classes, etc. What's the best way to break into the industry? I think this is a really, really good question. Um, and because of that, I'm going to bring up a couple things along the way. I think that no matter what route you go, you need to train in person, whether that's with a group, you're running a CrossFit class, or you're training one-on-one private clients. I think no matter what, you need to um, – Make sure that you are training people in person because that's how you get connected. That's how you learn how to communicate. That's how you learn how to experience actual training. I don't think anybody can go straight online. And I've talked to a couple of my mentor clients with this. Um, I actually just got off a call with one of my mentor clients yesterday. And I told him, like, he has trained people in the past, but he's looking to go more online. I told him, like, where you're at in your career, I think it's much wiser for you to keep at least a few clients in person no matter what. Because it's going to keep your finger on the pulse. To this day, I still train a couple people in person every week. And I go out of my way to do it. I don't do it for the money. I do it because I love coaching people. And I do it because it keeps my finger on the pulse. I can try new things. I can test new things. I can communicate. I can get hands-on with it, right? Most of my clients don't need in person. And that's why the majority of my business is online. But I do think it's very, very important to be one-on-one online. Now, whether you want to work in a gym full-time or go online, I completely think that's up to where you want your career to end up. I do not think you should go online because it's 2018 and everything's on the internet and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think you should follow what you actually enjoy. For me, I knew that I loved blogging. I love content. I mean, obviously, you guys know me by now. My favorite things to do are podcasting, creating YouTube videos, creating Instagram informational posts. Like, I want to teach, I want to educate, and I want to create media. Boom Boom Performance is not only a coaching business, it's also a media company. And by that, I mean I am trying to educate people through content because it is 2018 and that's my goal. But that's been my goal since I was 18 years old. When I started in the industry at 17, 18 years old, that's what I set out to do. I was like, I'm going to create an online brand so I can help educate people the way these people educated me online. So I think you need to decide what your career path is going to be from there I think you need to go all in on that one thing, right? So even though, like, again, I'm, I'm all, all in on the online business, but I still coach people in person. So I don't mean ignore everything else, but I do mean, like, 80% of your focus should be on your one thing. That's the most important rule. Um, 
I think that like there's there's so many tangents we can go on with one-on-one versus group classes, so on and so forth. So again, I think that depends. Some people love doing group classes. And I think if you're going to own a facility, group training is is absolutely a very, very smart choice. Because if you can, if we look at the business of it, I mean, it's, it's obvious. The client pays let, like half the price to be in a group than they do one-on-one. And if you run a facility, you can get twice as many people in the same exact hour they're happy. They're paying less. They're happy because they're getting a great workout, and you're happy because you have more people, more money coming in. Um, so I think group training is great. Now, for a trainer who's working for somebody else, private and semi-private training is actually really, really smart because you can make more money by training more clients. One thing I'm helping some of my other mentor clients do is switch from a private model to a semi-private model, and the reason being is because they can save a little bit of money, but you can handle more people throughout the day without burning out and being at the gym for 12 hours a day. And that's very, very important. So you get the best of both worlds where you're coaching individually because they still get their individualized program. You're still coaching them as much as you can. You're still bringing all the energy, but there's other people going on in that hour. You're still coaching one or two other people and you're kind of bouncing back and forth. So everybody's happy. Um, so in my opinion, the best thing to do if you're jumping into the industry is I think that you need to pick online or in the gym. And if you're going online, you still need to coach at least one or two people in person, no matter what, because that keeps your finger on the pulse. If you own a gym, you should probably have a group setting for sure. Um, if you you work for a gym, you should do what you love first and foremost. But I think that semi-private training is probably the smartest model for – it's good for gym owners too, but it's, especially the coaches that are working for gym owners because it allows you more income, more clients, uh, more experience. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very good model. Now – as far as breaking into the industry, I mean, obviously, get in the trenches. So everything I just talked about, like, that's going to be number one. Get in there and do the work. Like, nothing replaces just going to the gym and coaching hundreds of people. Um, and I think people forget for six years I was coaching people every single day before I even started the online business, right? So I think it's important to, again, like I said earlier, like I'd go back and tell myself to be patient and I had to learn how to be patient. But you get, we need to understand that you got to put in the work and get experience because there's so many different individuals out there and every single person I work with is completely individual. And until you work with a lot of people, you're going to miss things because you're not individualizing it enough. Nothing can be cookie cutter. Um, so I think getting experience and then documenting every step of the way because nowadays people are following you on the internet. Like it's everywhere. So what are you doing and how are you doing it? Who are you working with? What's your philosophy? What's your beliefs? What, what are your strategies? What kind of tactics are you going through? What experiences are your clients having? Like document the process. Like I get on this mic and I tell you guys about what I'm going through, what I'm doing. Like you guys have heard me me mention my mentor clients three times on this podcast. And there's a reason for that. It's because I knew this question was coming and it's something that I'm finally ready to announce to you guys is that I'm mentoring trainers. So for a long time, um, I have always been mentored and I'm still mentored and I will be mentored for the rest of my life. It's something I believe in heavily is coaching. I have a coach for my training and nutrition. I have a coach for my business and personal development. And I always have ever since the day I got in the industry. And so at some point I knew I was ready to pay it forward and do the same for people. I have been mentoring people for over a year now, but I haven't announced it because it's not something I want to market or pitch. But I'm ready to take on a couple more mentor clients. So I have a handful of people that are working with me that are not necessarily young entrepreneurs, but they're entrepreneurs that are in the game or getting into the game or just trying to get deeper, right? So gym owners, uh, people trying to open a gym, people trying to break out into the online space. I have multiple people who are doing different things all in the fitness space. So if 
you were interested in something like that, um, I would love to chat about it. But it is a very, very exclusive and selective program because I'm only going to help the people I know I can help. So, uh, but that being said, one of the best ways to break into the industry is just that. And that's why I mentioned it is getting a mentor, right? So we're going to document the process. We're going to get in the trench. So we're going to get in the trenches and we're going to coach as many people as possible. That's first things first. Do that shit every day and do it with a passion. Study as much as you possibly can. Document both of those things on social media because at the end of the day, social media is everything. So whether you're YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, podcast, Twitter, it doesn't matter. There's too many platforms for us to expose ourselves in the industry, and that is the key to unlocking massive potential in the, in the fitness industry. It's the key to success nowadays. It's like organic marketing. Paid advertisement is great, but if you can't bring in leads organically, you're going to have a tough time in the long run because paid advertisement isn't always guaranteed, especially with the algorithm and things changing on Facebook and Instagram constantly. So you need to be able to market yourself organically and attract people into your business without having to pay for it. Next, get a mentor. When you get a mentor, they introduce you to other people in the industry. They introduce you to new philosophies. They show you the ropes. They teach you how they got there. And they guide you along the way, avoiding their mistakes. It's the exact same reason why I constantly have a mentor. And then on top of that, it's accountability. There's nothing like being held accountable of actually doing the work. So one of the biggest things to tie all that together and to make sure that you're constantly moving forward and you're doing the right thing and you're consistently doing it all is going to be get a mentor that's going to hold you accountable. And like Craig Ballantyne said on my podcast, get a mentor that you care about because you won't let somebody down that you care about. So I hope that answers the question, Ian. I get pretty fired up about that, uh, <laughs> that topic. That's for damn sure. All right. I get caught in mouth. I go so hard on these questions, guys. Fuck. All right. Chris Sexton says... What are your thoughts on a coach providing exercise and nutrition guidance versus going all in on one? I think that – I think you need to decide what you're best at, right? Like um, this one's tough for me to answer because I believe in going all in on your one thing, right? I think that that's why certain – like I think that's why Precision Nutrition is so powerful. I think that's why IN3 is so powerful. I think that's why OPEX is so powerful. I think that's why like – Joe DeFranco is so powerful. Like they all have their one thing, just training, just nutrition, so on and so forth. But then here I am on the other spectrum doing multiple things, um, which I don't think is necessarily the best route to go. But I do think that if you're a trainer and you can't provide nutritional information to help that client get the result, you are missing a link. I just I, – I think that – I think – it's hard for me to agree with a trainer not being able to help with nutrition or at least guide them down the right path um, or have a partnership lined up to where they can do that. Like I have a partnership with a couple gyms to where I am their referred nutritionist. So when a client is struggling with the results, they get an exclusive rate to work with me individually and I help them, but they're still training at that facility. Um, but I also have a lot of clients that I work with training as well. Um, so they, they hire me for their training programs and their nutrition but that's also why I'm creating more training programs like Functional Muscle because I want to be able to provide my nutrition clients with a smart training system without having to hire me on a monthly basis for training individualized programming because I believe that nutrition needs to be more individualized than training. I think training is, needs to be individualized for certain people, injuries, uh, people who have ex had extreme injuries or need to avoid injuries or even like extreme athletes. Right? Pro athletes is like a completely different realm and I do think that they need more um, individualized training programs, especially if it's like a skill for a sport. But 
I do think that every trainer should be able to provide some baseline nutritional information. That being said, if you're amazing at one thing and you know it, go all in on that thing and partner with somebody else that can help you with that. But I don't think there's anything wrong with doing both. So my thoughts on it are, honestly, listen to your gut. I know that for me, nutrition is my crux. Nutrition is my expertise. Nutrition is like something, it's not even like more of an expertise than training because I believe that I have some of the best designed programs and I've had a lot of people reach out to me after following functional muscle to share with me that it's some of the best programming they've seen, but I love nutrition more, right? So I think that, I think you got to go with that. So for me, I looked at it like this. I need to do both because I love both. I'm good at both. And I know that both are needed in the industry. I'm going to niche myself more along the lines of nutritional information, nutritional individualized coaching, because I will, I won't provide a nutrition template. Like they don't work. Nutrition meal plans do not work. I'm not going to provide that because that goes against my like code of ethics. Like I do not believe in it, but I know I need, so I need to go all in on individualized coaching, but I still need to provide some kind of training. So I will still coach people on training. I still design individualized programs for people, but I also know that one of the smartest things I can do to help everybody and save my ass from being burnt out or doing too much is to create specific training programs for a specific niche population, right? So like functional muscle is for a niche population. It's for people who want to build strength, build muscle. Obviously, you can burn fat on that program if your nutrition is on point, um, but it's for people who are dedicated to the gym, who are ready to work four days a week, and who want to lift weights seriously. They know how to lift weights, and they're ready. So I guess my answer to you, Chris, is... There's nothing wrong with doing both. But if you know that one of them is your expertise, go with that. Like if you have if your if your mind and your gut is pulling you in one direction because you do not feel confident in the other, I do think you should go all in on one and you should partner with somebody else on the other. But if you're an expert at both, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing both. Just know how to systemize it. And don't get burnt out, man. Like I tell you what, like creating individualized programs takes a lot of time. All right, Jessica Evans asked, when progressing with your deadlift, bench, or squat, is there a general range or percentage that you should follow to progress with week to week? So I'm a big fan of just intuitively progressing as you go. So as most of us know, um, and if you don't know, this is a big key into getting results with training, whether your goal is strength, fat loss, performance, muscle growth, we need to have some form of progressive overload. So progressive overload is just a fancy way of saying challenge your body and make it adapt. If we look at training, it's stress and adaptation. But if we keep giving it the same stressor over and over and over again and don't try to increase that stress, your body will not be forced to adapt after a while, right? Because every time it adapts, it gets better and it can accommodate and become more efficient at that exercise. That's why strength training is so powerful. It's very hard for your body to become very efficient because there's a million ways to progress, right? Like if we look at cardio, for example, People wonder why doing low-intensity cardio, you sit on a treadmill for 30 minutes, that's your cardio. Well, if you're doing the same cardio three times a week, 30 minutes for the next eight weeks, your body's going to become very efficient at it. And this is the, the process of a metabolic slowdown, right? So if your body becomes efficient at cardio, you're no longer burning calories. We want to be a gas guzzler. So like, if you think about this, if we are inefficient at cardio, our body's going to be forced to utilize more energy, to burn more stored body fat, to burn more stored calories, and to burn more energy. That is what leads to fat loss. So with strength training, it's the same idea, right? We want to adapt. It doesn't happen as quickly as cardio because there is so many modalities and different ways to progress. So as far as percentages, like back to her main question with progressing, I would say that 
I'm a big fan of percentage-based programs, but looking looking at them more of an intuitive approach, right? So I, I love percentage-based approaches simply because five three one changed the game for me. Five three one by Jim Wendler is a fantastic strength program, um, and it's something to this day I apply to training programs. Um, I'm actually getting ready to start my own new training program um, with the 16-week people. And one thing I'm going to be doing with my uh, compound lifts instead, which I didn't plug into everybody else's, is I'm going to uh, plug in the 5-3-1 approach, which basically means every week my percentage changes. So with that one, it's like week one is three sets of five, and I think it's 65, 75, 85%. Week two is three sets of three, and it's like 70, 80, 90%. And then week four or three is 5-3-1. And you're going 75, 85, 95%. So week after week, you're working the percentages up until you get to a really, really close one rep max. And your goal is to do one or more reps with 95%. See, I love that approach. And it's it's simple. And it works really fucking well. I don't know anybody who hasn't built a ton of strength and muscle doing a 5-3-1 approach. But... The issue here is if we go into the gym and we know that this is our percentage that we're supposed to hit today because that's what's going to lead to progression. Last week I did 70%. This week I'm doing 72.5 or 75% because that's my progression model. But I come in and I had a lack of sleep last night. The baby kept me up all night. I have been stressed because of business, because of my family, because um, I didn't get enough sleep or my nutrition was shit or just environmental factors, right? I'm getting sick. There's so many things that can go on that change that. And a lot of people will go in and just because the paper says 75%, they feel like they need to do that. And the issue with that is, is that's what leads to injury. That's what leads to overtraining. That's what leads to under recovering. And that's what leads to lack of results. So my advice is to look at the percentage-based program like that and read it from a standpoint of like, this is how progression works. Week one, I'm doing three sets of five, week, and I'm slowly ramping up. Week two, I'm doing three sets of three, and I'm slowly ramping up again at a higher percentage overall. And then week four or three, I'm going to do five, three, one. So I'm going to slowly ramp up the weights while dropping the reps because I want to max out. Week four, I deload, and then I repeat. Like If you look at that from a concept, from a theory, programming-wise, it's, it's excellent. It's very smart. But if we get so grounded and stuck on the fact that we have to progress with these percentages just like the paper says, that's when we can lead to overtraining or under-recovering and just lack of results. And I think that the best approach is to look at more at an RPE scale. That's why in functional muscle, everybody knows like there's an RPE scale, rate of perceived exertion. So rather than me saying do 80% of your one at max, and it might say in certain places like, hey, this should be about 80%. That's a good estimate, right? I don't need you to get the calculator out, but just consider that before loading the bar. But the main thing to look at is the RPE scale. If it says an, a 9 out of 10 on the RPE scale, that means your last rep is extremely challenging, but you have one in the tank. And that's probably the best way to go on your challenging lifts. It should be a challenge. It should be a grind. But your last rep, you should hit that rep and you go, I could probably hit another, but it might be a grinder and I might slack on my form. right? If I did two more, I, I would be risking injury. So that's a challenge, right? Eight reps means my last rep is hard, but it's perfect, right? Seven, six, RPE, that's when we're in the warm-up, the activation. I want to feel the muscle and then stop. I'm not trying to fatigue out. So RPE scale is great because it keeps it intuitive. It keeps your, your, you aware of your body. Um, and as long as you're realistic about the RPE scale and you're not going too easy on yourself and you're really pushing it to the limit on the RPE scale, um, I think it's great. So I, as far as progressing um, – I would say look more intuitively, think about the RPE scale, and then just remember that there's many ways of progressing. So the classic way of progressing is add 5 to 10 pounds on the bar, right? So if I'm squatting, like I've been training for eight years, maybe more. If I've added 5 pounds to the bar by now, I'd be squatting and deadlifting and, and pressing 1,000 pounds each easily. 
but that's not even remotely close, right? Because you can't add five pounds to the bar every single week and, and just keep progressing and progressing and progressing. So we have to look at different models of progression. So what I would recommend and what I recommend to my clients is like, okay, option one is the most ideal. That's add weight to the bar. So if we look at the bar this week or last week, I did 200 pounds. This week, I'm going to do 205, right? That is ideal. Next week, I'm going to try to do 210. Let's say I can't get 210. Okay, cool. We want to keep form solid, muscles activating, everything moving efficiently. So that means I'm going to choose a different progression, uh, progression model this week. So I did 205, then, or sorry, I did two, 200 pounds. Week two, I did 205. Week three, I can do 210. So I'm going to do 205 again, but I'm going to add a weight or a rep, maybe two. And what you're going to do is add one rep every week until you can add weight to the bar at the original rep count. So if we're doing five by five, week one, I do 200. Week two, I do 205. Week three, I do five by six at 205 again. Week four, maybe I still can't do 210. So I do five by six to seven on throughout those five sets. And then week five, four or five, then I'm, I'm going back to five by five and I'm going to add weight to the bar at 210. So that's an easy way of block. It's called block periodization. Super simple. You add a rep until you can add weight on the bar. Very, very simple. Um, and I actually like this model best for hypertrophy. So if you want to get big, like you should be doing like four by eight on your compound and you're doing as much as you can for eight. The next week you're going to add a single rep. The next week you add a single rep and you keep doing that until you hit 11 or 12 reps with that starting weight. Then you come back to four by eight and you add weight to the bar. So that's like option two is like add reps until you can. And then option three when you can't do either of those is just change the tempo. So this is another form of progression more from a uh, muscle activation and tension and control standpoint. Slow the negative down. Add a long pause at the bottom. Add pauses throughout the movement. Slow down the concentric. There's so many ways to do it. One and a half reps where you go all the way down, halfway up, back way down, all the way up. There's so many different ways to progress through tempo that it's an easy way to do it. And, and what – you guys will notice by now that I've gone through those three progression models is there's always a way to progress, which is why I'm so big on following a program for week after week and recording your results. And that's why functional muscle is doing really well with a lot of people because I know there's a lot of people who are following it right now that did not really record and progress their weights. They weren't tracking metrics every day at the gym, and now they're forced to. So now they're looking at, okay, what am I doing? And I have a form of block periodization in that program. And you look at what am I do? What did I do last week? What did I do the week before? What did I do the week before? Okay, here's what I need to do this week. And you write that down and you actually do it. And that's why people are getting results because it forces you into progression. And there's multiple ways to progress. You can even progress by exercise variation, right? Maybe you did a dumbbell lunge last week. Well, this week you're going to do a barbell lunge because you can add more load to the bar. You're going to do a double kettlebell front rack lunge because it's going to require more muscle activation in your upper back and your core. There's a million ways to progress. Um, I, I think, to be honest with you, I think percentages are very smart for powerlifters simply because they, they have to. Only lifters and powerlifters have to because they're going for a score, right? Like they need to record their percentages and they need hit certain percentages to ensure that no matter what, they are hitting a certain amount of weight on the platform, right? But that's a completely different ballgame. So I think it really depends. All right, last question is going to be from Aaron Durth on Instagram. She said, she actually had two questions. Hey, so I am an online coach and I have my clients fill out a weekly check-in on Google Doc. I send it out every Sunday. They usually never fill them out. I have it to constantly remind them. I have to constantly remind them. And even then, sometimes they ignore me or still will not complete it. Any tips to keep them consistent? So this is the first question. This is for all the coaches out there. Um, so pretty much like what, what can you do to make sure that your clients are being consistent with check-ins? This is a hard question because I think every single person is different. And as you guys know, I'm super big on individ 
individualization. Such a hard fucking word to say. Um, so I have certain clients who I never have to remind once, right? Like it's religious. They have it in their calendar. They're dedicated. And I think I know because I know that I don't feel the need to reach out to them throughout the week um, unless I just want to check in or unless they ask me or unless they obviously reach out to me because clients know they get 24-7 access to me via email. But I think that if, if you're having – I would set reminders midweek just to check in on the people because I have certain reminders for certain clients who I know could probably use a check-in. And I put reminders in my Google calendars that remind me to like, hey, check on so-and-so. Ask them how they are. Ask them how they're doing while on vacation. Right, I have a, one in my calendar right now that's reminding me to reach out to someone because I know they're on vacation and I know they need some extra accountability. So as a coach, I think it's up to you to set some reminders um, and then be upfront with them at the beginning. Like I tell people at the beginning, hey, you have 24-7 access to me. Reach out if you need guidance, if you need help, if you need more support, if you need more accountability, if you need to be checked on, like let me know because I don't know how to best serve you unless you tell me. My job is to serve you as a coach. So I'm really upfront at the beginning. And I'm also upfront with them, letting them know that uh, I am a busy individual um, and I'm not going to chase people down, right? This, it's not my job to reach out to you every single day to make sure you're doing the work. Um, it's up to you to reach out to me for accountability. And that might sound harsh, but to be honest with you, it's like the only way you can serve a lot of people at once, which is the, our, our real desire and passion and job as a coach, is to serve as many people as possible. I want to help as many people as possible. And it's unrealistic for me to tell people that I will be able to reach out to them every single day with some kind of check-in because it's just not going to happen. I have a family. I'm trying to keep myself accountable, right? But if you reach out to me, I am 100% positive. I can respond and give you the feedback you need to make sure you're on point. Now, that being said, like I said before, I do have reminders on my phone to check on certain people. So I'm up front with everybody at the beginning because there's a lot of people who you can say those things to and they will go, okay, you're right. I get it. And I'm hiring you because I need this change and I want this change and I'm committed to this change. And a lot of people that approach me are committed because they're investing their hard-earned time and money to work with me. So they will go the extra mile to make sure they're reaching out to me to stay accountable on their own. Now, for those people who have an extremely busy lifestyle like me, I, I get it. And I will set reminders for them. So it's just kind of like reading the person where they're at, knowing what type of personality they are. If they're committed, committed, then you need to be the one to say like, hey, I need you to reach out to me when you need help because that's how I'm going to best serve you, so on and so forth, right? So I think it really depends on the individual. But the best thing you can do as a coach is set reminders, give them the sheet that they need to fill out and just be upfront with them. Like I tell people at the beginning, like, hey, the only way you're going to seriously see results is if you fill out this update form every single week because I need to know your weight. I need to know your biofeedback. I need to know how you're doing, what went well, what didn't go so well, how you couldn't improve next week, and exactly what I can do to help you more. And all those questions are on their assessment form that they get from me. So I let them know like, hey, if you really want to see progress every single week, I need you to fill this out because if you don't fill this out, I will not be able to give you the, the stunning results that you truly want. So I think just, again, like I've talked about this a lot, educate and communicate. If you can over-educate and over-communicate with your clients, they're always going to win. They're going to be more accountable to you, and they're going to be more serious too. And when you put that out there, like I talk about that on the podcast. I talk about that on my YouTube channel. I talk about that on my Instagram. People apply for my coaching who are more committed and who are more likely to really stick to what I'm telling them because they believe me, they trust the process, and they understand the type of energy and type of, type of work that I'm putting into it. And when they see that from you and they understand that you want to educate them, you want to help them, and you want to communicate more, and that's the type of coach you are, you're going to attract those individuals who are on that same page. Um, so be who you want to attract. 
Her other question said, I also know clients are supposed to be on a calorie deficit. In the past, I've always heard to slowly decrease the client's calories over time, like 100 calories a week until they get to a 500 calorie deficit. However, now I don't really see anything saying that that's important. And I can't remember where I got that info from. I was curious on your input. Thanks. So basically, the 500 calorie deficit rule comes from science. I mean, Science is kind of funny, right? Because science from a hormone and endocrinology, like an endocrine system, so the hormonal system, nervous system standpoint will show you that if you just chop calories, you're going to hurt yourself in the long run because your, your CNS will burn out, your hormones and thyroid and adrenal glands and metabolism, all these things will slow down, your testosterone will drop, cortisol will rise, your stress hormone, and all these things will stop fat loss from happening, stop muscle gain from happening. But from a science perspective, when we look at fat loss and like thermogenics, we know that 3,500 calories equates to one pound of fat. So if we cut 3,500 calories a week, which is 500 calories a day, that means we'll burn one pound of fat per week. The issue with this is like I was talking about with the cardio earlier, like our body adapts. So what is a, 30, what is a 500 calorie deficit today might not be a 500 calorie deficit in two weeks, right? It might be a 450 calorie deficit or worse, even a 400. After a couple months, that 500 calorie deficit, it's your maintenance now because your body adapts, your metabolism adapts. Now your maintenance is lowering over time. Um, that's why I'm a big fan of mini cuts um, or very, very slow, slow cutting approaches, right? Take a 200 calorie de deficit and go slow, right? Repair the hormones, let the hormones stay on top, give them refeed, give them diet breaks, things that are gonna make sure that the hormones stay intact, your metabolism stays up and doesn't adapt. There's a lot of things that I implement as a coach and I tell people at the beginning, like, hey, we got to go slow because the only way we're going to make sure your hormones don't adapt to this lower calorie deficit and you start getting hurt from a hormonal system and a metabolic system standpoint is if we go slow, is if we introduce all these different tactics and strategies that I'm going to explain to you, like diet breaks and refeeds and, and different things like that and certain training modalities. If we don't do all these things, then your body's going to adapt and you're, gonna, you're not going to lose fat for very long. So this four-week 500 calorie deficit might work, but in two months, it's going to be very hard to maintain that, not only from a social standpoint, but your body just won't burn fat the same way. So I think the reason you're not seeing it very much anymore, like it used to be a huge thing, like everybody just said, 500 calories, chop them and you'll lose weight. And that's true for an extent. Like, like I said, if you want to do a mini cut for eight weeks, you could do that and, and you'll probably get some results, but you need to have a backup plan or a reverse plan to get out of that afterwards. But the reason you don't see that very much is I think a lot more people are coming out that are very smart with the science. Um, I mean, a lot of the people that I work with and that I run with, I mean, for example, again, Jason Phillips, who I've mentioned plenty of times because I hang out with them and talk to him a lot. Um, and we're going to have some projects coming up in the future together. We are in the same camp as far as recovery being the number one priority. And we've worked with a lot of athletes. He's worked with a ton of high-level CrossFitters. So we know that if we just chop calories, you will get a temporary result for your body composition but nothing else. So there's different ways of doing that, such as optimizing the hormonal system. And the more and more this stuff comes out in the nutrition realm and the nutri with with real good nutrition coaches like us talking about this stuff and doing it the healthy way so people aren't hurting and people actually feel good on a fat loss plan or feel good on a performance nutrition diet. Um, I think it's just hitting more mainstream. We're getting more popular. These, these names are, are branching out and high level strength coaches like John Russin, for example, Joe DeFranco, these people reach out to people like us to help them with nutrition um, or they follow the same exact principles and philosophies. So when all these different people are running the same concepts, that 500 calorie deficit just kind of became white noise and kind of disappeared. 
right? So it's just it's just kind of the evolution of training, the evolution of nutrition. Um, and this is exactly why nutrition is my thing. And this is why I love nutrition coaching so much. It's so individual and there's so many things that we can do and implement and change and, and try and experiment with that truly change a person's body composition. So um, I think the 500 calorie deficit thing is dead. Um, I think it works depending on the situation, especially if somebody is drastically overeating. If you're eating 1,000 calories over what you need to be, yeah, of course, create a 500 calorie deficit because that's not going to hurt you hormonally. So it really, really depends, but I think it's just kind of uh, old news in the industry. All right, guys, that is a wrap. Once again, excellent questions on the show. If you have any questions that you want answered on the show, please follow me at cody.boomboom on Instagram, or you can email info at boomboomperformance.com, and we will get your questions answered on the show. I have a few announcements to make real quick before I let you go, one being the mentorship that I uh, suggested or mentioned during the show. Obviously, this isn't something that I've talked about a lot in the past, but it is something that I've been doing more and more of as of late, simply because people approach me. So I know there's some guys even listening to this podcast who I'm currently mentoring. And just like them, they they literally just reached out and they asked me to mentor them. And I started doing so. And it's been a really, really fun process watching them grow, watching them break through into the industry and watching them succeed, not only financially, but reaching more people, creating more leads and helping change more lives. And at the end of the day, I do this because I get to help change lives. And if I can help another coach or fitness business owner, change even more lives it's a spider web it's a domino effect of just reaching more people so that is something that i'm going to be doing more of moving forward currently i only have a couple spots left that i'm willing to take on mentors so if you are a trainer or a coach and you are looking for help support accountability guidance and just more information along the lines of how to program design how to program nutrition how to coach clients how to build your name how to build a brand how to market yourself organically on social media how to do all the things you need to do in order to build your name enter the industry and actually create a career out of it you can email info at boomboomperformance.com with the subject line mentor again i'm only taking a couple people on with this because i do have a handful already but i want to help more trainers i want to help more coaches and i want to make more noise in the industry and this is one way that i can do it and i have a blast helping these guys so um i help with everything along the lines of training nutrition branding and really just success so personal development self-development morning routines habit accountability exactly what a mentor needs to do for you so if you're interested in that go ahead and shoot us an email at info at boomboomperformance.com we will get back to you we'll set up a free call you and i will sit down and talk and just map out everything show you what the program is about and if it's a good fit for us to work together we'll move forward with that the last announcement i have real quick guys is just to leave me a five-star rating and review as you guys know it really really does help me grow the podcast even more and it helps when i know exactly what you guys are enjoying and want to hear more of so when i get feedback from you guys and i get those five star ratings and reviews not only do i move up in the itunes chart allowing me to invest more time in this podcast to deliver more free content but it also shows me what you guys are actually enjoying is it the mental side of things is it the mindset is it the stress management is it the fitness is it the nutrition is there more trainers listening to the podcast? Are there more general population listening to the podcast? I want to hear your guys' feedback. You can email us all the feedback you want, and you can leave us a five-star rating or review. It would be greatly appreciated. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I will catch you next time.